T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty care centers, hospital, and Minnesota's level one adult and pediatric trauma center, presents Healthy Matters. As always, consult your physician if you have health concerns. Here's Denny Long with Hennepin Healthcare internal medicine physician, Dr. David Hilden. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Welcoming your phone calls and text messages as we always do this uh, Sunday morning. Good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. Nice morning. It's a beautiful All morning. All week above average temps. I know. It's going to yeah, it's gonna be a beautiful day. I hope that, you know, maybe maybe my strategy of not shoveling is going to have paid off. Oh, definitely. Because it, it could melt. Oh, yeah. yeah, especially near that's 40 my, on Saturday. Yeah, that's my new yeah. strategy. Just don't shovel. It'll melt. <laughs> you might even go out for a run. <laughs> I, might, I did yesterday. It was awesome to be out running yesterday on a 30-degree day because I live in the South Minneapolis and I ran around Lake Harriet. There were like 1,000 people standing on the lake. You know, because there's an art exhibit going on, the art shanty thing, which is, and then all these kites. It was just beautiful. Oh, wow. Just beautiful. Minnesotans really know how to do winter, but it just occurred to me that's just a lot of people on the ice. But it's a lot more comfortable than it was last year oh, at this time. Yeah, exactly. What are we going to be talking about today? I have Dr. Nancy Lugar in the studio. She is an orthopedic surgeon. So we're going to talk about your bones and your joints and your connective tissues and the like. And um, it's a good thing she's here because. As as listeners know, if you hear the little introduction to our show, I'm an internal medicine doctor, which means I know virtually nothing about about your about any of this stuff. And uh, so, fortunately, there are people who are good at it. So, first of all, uh, Doctor Luger, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to have you, Nancy. You were here a few years ago. We did an Ask an Orthopedist show, and I remember we got lots of calls about people calling you about your bones and joints. And today. We're going to focus in on most, mostly your shoulder. We can talk about other things too, but we're going to talk mostly about things like rotator cuffs in your shoulder and shoulder replacement surgery and um, injections and when you might need all that kind of stuff. So we're going to try to hone in on your shoulder because that's an area of your expertise, isn't it? That is true. How'd you get into shoulders? Um, You know... Um, I did a sports medicine fellowship, and a lot of times the uh, shoulder and knee are included. And I, um, I like the athletic population, but that includes um, guys like Denny and me. The yes, athletic population, younger and older athletes. Yeah, there you the go. Aging population. Yeah. So I don't know. I just liked it. So, is it true that most orthopedic surgeons have some kind of area of a specialty? I know our your colleague Jackie Geisler, Doctor Geisler, does hands. And then you get other people who focus on knees and hips. Is that a thing that sort of just naturally happens just because you do them? Or do you go to extra training to learn those specific things? Oftentimes you go to extra training, um, specifically for hands, sports, hip and knee um, reconstruction. But um, I'd say the trend is probably in the more urban areas. You get people that specialize in one particular area and, and just do that. But a lot of times in the outer skirts of the states or cities, um, people do everything. They kind of dabble out of necessity. They probably have to do yeah, a little bit, a little bit. A brighter, wider range. Um, 
So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Well, a lot of it, if we could, about the shoulder itself, because I don't think we've ever done one about just that. We've done a show about knees and hips before, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But we haven't really done much about the shoulder, and it's a common question that people have when they call into the show. And like I said, I know almost nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I don't know anything about internal medicine things. Either. That's okay. It's good. We're in, we're, we're in the fields we ought to be in. Um, so... In shoulders, a bunch of things can go wrong. Dislocations, rotator cuff problems, fractures. What do you see the most of? Um, Which few things are the are the big ones? I see a lot of that. So arthritis of the shoulder joint. I see broken clavicles or the collarbone, um, the top part of the arm bone or the humerus. I see a lot of broken that. Uh, dislocations and um labral tears, so the cartilage that surrounds the, the socket part. Um, Are most of those problems the result, like you said, arthritis? That's more of a wear and tear kind of a problem. Are, do you see most things that are degenerative like that or, or, or like chronic issues, or is it more injury-related? Um, I see both. I mean, I, I work at Hennepin County Medical Center, and we're trauma centers, so we see a lot of broken things. But I'd say I'd see both, and you can get arthritis just from – um, after an injury, so it can be related to an injury that develops later. Let's start out with some anatomy. What's the rotator cuff? So the rotator cuff is made up of four tendons. So a tendon is a muscle tendon attaches to bone, and they're um, positioned around the shoulder, and it helps you kind of lift your arm. It it brings down the bone part so you can lift up your arm. I've often thought that the shoulder is one of your more fascinating joints because it has so many different ranges of motion. You know, the knee goes back and forth, and it's a good thing. (laughs) But it's not supposed to go side to side. Yeah, not as much. So that that is one of the reasons it's it's a uh, such a mobile joint. But that's one of the reasons it's prone to going out of socket is because it's got so much mobility. So your rotator cuff is why you can pitch a baseball. Is that right? Yes. Well, or I should say, why some people can yes, pitch a baseball? Some people can. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't be me. <laughs> so when people say I have a rotator cuff injury, first of all, how do those happen? And second of all, what can be done about it? So they can be uh, injured either directly from a fall, or you can just have over time kind of degenerative process. A lot of times, as we get older, our tendons are less good at repairing themselves, and they can just wear out over time. So um, treatment is variable. It can be anything from um, rest, ice, physical therapy, injections, all the way up to surgery. So the rotator cuff problems, I have that I have people who have had problems with their rotator cuff for months or even longer. I mean, they seem to take a long time to heal. Why is that? <laughs> Good question. If we knew, we'd probably be able to, <laughs> to get them to heal quicker. <laughs> People always that it is a common thing. I, can you make this better? Now, I suppose there's a surgical solution to rotator cuff injuries, but short of that, what are some things people can do? Um, I'd say physical therapy and strengthening the muscles around the shoulder, so it kind of offloads the damaged tendon to let it heal. Do they heal? Do tendons heal? I know muscles do. Uh, you know, they have a good blood supply and they heal. But do tendons heal as well? Tendons can heal. It just takes some time. And as we get older, we're less good at healing. Um, if there's a tear all the way through the tendon, it's less likely that that's going to heal. So those often over time, if you're not getting better with things such as, you know, physical therapy, that's when we start thinking a little bit more about 
um, surgery and how it's impacting you overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I have family members, brother-in-law, wife, a lot of other people, active people who have had rotator cuff problems. And know, like, and I knew I knew a guy who worked at the airport, and he was slinging suitcases and did something, and it never really got better. At least he says this thing has not been the same since. If someone, if you do do an operation on a rotator cuff injury, is, do you need to do it earlier, or can you just kind of wait and try all the other non-surgical solutions? And see if it gets better first? It's pretty variable. Um, it can somewhat, I mean, the rehab and recovery is long, so it can somewhat be timed. Often with acute tears, like you fall down and um, tear your your um, rotator cuff, we often fix those a little sooner. But um, there's a little wiggle room. A little bit in there. Mm-hmm. We have a screen full of texts already, which means we have a lot. Ooh, um, and, and so, yeah, it is a subject <laughs> people are going to want to talk about. Before we get to some of them, I'm going to um, I want to go into shoulder replacement itself. A lot of people aren't really aware that's a thing. You know that that you can do such a thing, and that that um, that uh, everybody knows about knee replacements. Everybody knows about hip replacements, but shoulder replacement is something you would do. When would somebody do that? Um, it's How sim- bad does it have to be? Uh, similar to your hip and knee, that it's a really affecting your day-to-day life and hurts more often than it doesn't. You're unable to do the things you want to do, and um, your function has gotten bad, and the bone is not looking good. And um, So it's, it's, it's a discussion between you and your physician and, you know, a variety of things, but... Kind of there, similar. There's a lot of bones and joints in the shoulder. Um, you know, there's two or three different joints in there. It's not all just one thing. And you know, for listeners, a joint is just when when two bones are are coming together to move against each other. So, what are you replacing when you're replacing a shoulder? Um, a similar that you're replacing the ball in the socket. So the top part of the arm bone is the we call it the proximal humerus. You replace that, and then the um, place that it moves with is the socket or the glenoid, so proximal humerus and the glenoid. What's it made of? You, uh, what are the replacement hardware um, made of? Can be metal and plastic generally. So just give us a little insider scoop. How do you you open this thing up? You take out the re- old bone. Mm-hmm. How do you and then you put in? You're not replacing the whole humerus, right? Correct. So you're, not usually. Really? No. Not usually. Not yeah. usually. So you're replacing a little, a, a short piece of metal or plastic. Mm-hmm. How do you, not to get into too much detail, but people are interested, I think. How do you connect all that? Um, how do you connect this replacement part to all the other moving parts that are in there? Sometimes there's a little bit of bone cement in there. You cement them in? Mm-hmm. No kidding? And sometimes it just is called, what, press fit. So um, the way that you kind of put it together. I always assume there'd be like nuts and bolts and things like you'd have a There's some screws in there depending on which type of shoulder replacement cuz there's more than one type. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. We're talking about shoulders and uh, orthopedic injuries with Dr. Nancy Luger. She is an orthopedic surgeon at Hennepin Healthcare. We're going to get to your phones and text shortly. Very good. We'll take a quick break here. Uh, let me give you the phone number. It's also the text number 651-989-9226. 651-989 9226. Overcast, 25 degrees in the Twin Cities, heading to near 30 here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. If you have a question for our guest and Dr. Hilden as well, call us or text us. Same number, 651-989-9226. Here again, Dr. Hilden. 
So we're going to talk to Dr. Nancy Luger from the Orthopedic Surgery Department at Hennepin Healthcare. Um, a little blurb about two little bits of housekeeping. First of all, the Orthopedic Surgery Department at Hennepin is one of my favorite departments, not least because I work mostly in the hospital and so I work closely with them. But I also find them to be exceptionally skilled surgeons and exceptionally good colleagues. Um, it's run by a guy named Dr. Andy Schmidt, who is one of the better surgeons you'll ever find in your life. That's an understatement. He's a fantastic surgeon. But he's also assembled the best group of surgeons. I would send my family members to any of them. Um, and uh, they happen to be majority women. And so that's an unusual thing in an orthopedic surgery department. So it's a great uh, thing. Um, our ortho department, if you need your orthopedic surgery needs met, they're there for you. You can always call us up at 612-873-6963. Second bit of information, this is all just on a personal note. There was a big week in my family this past week. My father-in-law is a gentleman named Tom Railsback, my wife Julie's dad. He died last Monday, and, uh, and he was a, a, a congressman back in the 1970s, and he was mentioned on the floor of the United States Senate during uh, Congressman Schiff's closing arguments last night as being one of the Republican congressmen during the Nixon era who, uh, who um, voted to uh, impeach um, President Nixon. I don't want to get into politics, but my father-in-law made a big impact on uh, our nation back in the 70s, and he was uh, mentioned literally on the floor of the Senate last night. But more importantly than any of that, he was a decent, beautiful human being. He was a great father-in-law. He was a great dad to Julie and her sisters. So just a word of uh, memorial for my father-in-law, Tom Railsback, who died last Monday. Okay. With that being done, let's go back to shoulders. We have a lot of callers. Uh, we have mostly texters, but why don't we go to the phones sure. and let's take Kathy's call. All right. Kathy in Norwood is on CCO. Go ahead, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Yes. Um, can you hear me? Yes, you're fine. Okay. I had a proximal humerus fracture. Um, question I have is, is this, that it's normal normal to um, be left behind with only 90% at the best, 120% of your range of motion and strength after this. And it's not due to the fracture. It healed very well. It's due to the capsule deteriorating. Is there any anything in progress to look at avoiding that because of it being immobilized for six to eight weeks? Or is that always going to be your outcome for the majority of people? Those are those are interesting questions, Kathy. Rehab. You know, getting better after your shoulder surgery when you fractured something. Do, can you comment on that? So it depends a little bit on how it was broken because they can be broken in different ways and how severe it changes your anatomy. Um, I'd say uh, more often than not, you're going to lose some motion or function after you break it. We, we're not perfect at making it get all the way better, and we have to hold it a little still while it heals so that the, the parts don't pull apart. And oftentimes when you break that bone, it's it's not very strong. It's pretty weak, it, and the bone isn't very good. So the plates and screws we put in there have to hold to something solid. And if the bone's soft, it can pull away if you move it too soon. So that there's a little bit of give and take with that. Ideally, you'd want to move right away for the other tissues, but you can't for the bone needing to heal, right? Correct. And we're, we're getting better, and there's some new changes depending on how things um, are evolving in our technology, but we're still, we're still working on it. What is a frozen shoulder? And I had to slow down to say that because I can never say that right. 
Erosion shoulder um, also can be called adhesive capsulitis. It is um, the shoulder's lining or the joint capsule um, can get real thick and tight, and so um, you can't move it as well. Um, and it's not necessarily due to the tendons. It's usually just the tight capsule. All right, let's go to a couple of the text lines, if we could. We're talking about your shoulders and orthopedic injuries with Dr. Nancy Luger from Hennepin Healthcare's Orthopedic Surgery Department. Um, here's one about shoulder replacement. The, the texter says, a few years ago, I had a total, total shoulder replacement. I've never regained full strength or range of motion, as although I can reach behind my back, I can't reach straight up. First, they called it frozen. Then someone said it's because I did not have a reverse shoulder replacement. Can you explain? Um, So a reverse shoulder replacement um, came about because we found that when we replaced the shoulder, if you didn't have a working rotator cuff, they would fail earlier and Mm. not do as well. Um, It's a little hard to know in this situation without seeing all the history and the x-rays and and having an exam, but... um, if you do put a normal one in and you you don't have a functioning rotator cuff, or if you injure the rotator cuff later after you had the shoulder replacement, it cannot work as well. So in a reverse shoulder replacement, are you, what are you replacing? So you still replace the ball in the socket, except when you're replacing it, the socket becomes the ball and the ball becomes the socket. Thus, it's called a reverse. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> It sounds like that's messing with Mother Nature. Yeah, it's taking advantage of the deltoid um, instead of the rotator cuff because the rotator cuff isn't working well for you. So this texter who's, who it had been suggested that the, can't reach straight up because mm-hmm. they didn't have that done, is that a common problem with regular shoulder replacements that your inability to lift overhead? Um, it depends a little bit about what your motion was before and um, – but yes, you can lose some motion, but our our goal is to get you functional and be able to do the things you need to do after. So you, something you should talk to your surgeon about um, what your expectations are before you have a surgery. Right, right. Um, how long do they last? This is not from the text lines, but I'm still on shoulder replacements here. How long do these last? I know you can't predict um, um, forever, but... They last a good 10, 20 years. Kind of depends, though. It's like a mechanical part, so over time it, it will wear, wear. But when you have them younger, people tend to use them more so they can wear a little earlier. And then when you're older, you don't do as much, and so they can last a little longer. In general, we try to hold off longer because anytime you need to have a second operation, it's, it's um, not as good usually or it's more challenging than the, than the first operation. Let's go back to the text lines. Here's one. It's about um, getting shots, and people use the word cortisone shots. Mm-hmm. That's when you get a anti-inflammatory medication, a corticosteroid injected into your any part of your body. So here's a text along that line. It says, do cortisone shots diminish the strength of tendons? They can weaken the tendon. Um, that's why we don't often do lots of them repeatedly. Um, but it can be a good way to decrease some of the pain and inflammation in the shoulder. So, How many, how many times can you do a, a cortisone? I'm using the word cortisone. It sure. isn't usually cortisone, but how many, how many times can you do them? Can you- I think it's patient-dependent, but I, in general, try not to do more than three or four a year. As closer you do them together, they tend to work less. 
you know, people always say, is it too soon to get the next one? Is it too soon to get the next one? And I just say, well, don't just don't do them too often. Don't just keep doing right. them. Don't do them every month right. for the next few years. It's you, not usually the long-term management strategy. Right. If you're that's I think that's a key point. If you're needing one that often and that, you know, frequently, many times a year and it's going on for years, that's probably not a good long-term Correct. treatment strategy. All right. Here's another. We're going back to the text line. It says, I've been having my arms easily fall asleep, especially at night. I had a hip replacement in 2018 due to severe arthritis. Could this be the problem uh, with the shoulders, or might it come from my mild spinal stenosis? That tends to be worse in my lower spine. I'm 67. That's from Carol and Champlin. Hmm. Thanks, Carol. Uh, so usually your arms don't fall asleep as much from arthritis. It's probably more of a nerve-related thing, but it's hard to know without seeing and kind of hearing a little bit more and doing an exam on you. What is spinal stenosis, what Carol mentions? Um, <laughs> that's narrowing of the spinal canal or the where the nerves go out. So, Doesn't sound like maybe your shoulder itself from arthritis would be causing her numbness in her Probably hands. not. Yeah, probably not, Carol. Um, thank, but maybe see a neurologist. I think it's more likely to be your spine. Again, that's not my area either, but um, not might not be a bad idea to talk to a neurologist and, and uh, see if it is your spine. Back to your tendons. There's a lot on that. How would a torn tendon be diagnosed? Uh, so we, Does it show up in an x-ray is what the, the last side of this says. Um, so um, a good history. And then doing a physical exam, you can often pick up if it's if it's a big tear, you can pick it up on physical exam, and then um, we usually get confirmatory studies like an MRI or a CT arthrogram or something to help us out, or it can do an ultrasound um, and and just confirm what we think. Yeah, the X rays have been around I think since Queen Victoria was uh, reigning over in England. Mm-hmm. They've been around a long. <laughs> A long time, but they don't really show the soft tissues very well. Not very well, but if it's advanced and it's been there a while, you can pick up thing, clues on the x-ray that would suggest that you have a tear. I always found that x-rays being one of the more um, fascinating things that we still do because they, they're really good. I mean, you can really mm-hmm. pick up a you lot. You learn they're, a lot from them. You learn a lot. They're easy. They're um, Since you're usually just getting one, two, three pictures, they're low radiation, so it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not really a consideration. And they were literally invented so dang long ago, like over well over 100 years ago, and we're still using them. Now, when you get an MRI or something, of course, you can see structures, just little dinky things. But you can really learn a lot from your X-ray. Although I think um, uh, Dr. Luger said something pretty important. It's your history and physical exam mostly on your rotator cuff. I, we go through, we teach first-year med students, you know, how to do the musculoskeletal exam. And I teach this class sometimes as well, and I'm not very good at teaching the musculoskeletal exam, but we're trying to teach them all these different moves of how to do rotator cuff things, turning the pop can upside down. (laughs) We do. We tell them, okay, put your arm out and bend it this way or bend it that way. But you can tell a lot. You can isolate it to a very specific muscle just simply by a physical exam. So that's, that's your first step. All right, let's take a break. We have about a half, another half hour of the show to go. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can call in your question or send a text. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. Right now it's 25 and cloudy here, heading for a high near 30. The weather's coming up on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters. Among other things, we're talking about shoulder replacement surgery. Uh, if you have a question, uh, call it in or text it in, 651-989-9226. Here again is Dr. Hilden. 
Thank you, Denny. We're talking to Dr. Nancy Luger. She is an orthopedic surgeon at Hennepin Healthcare. I gave the number earlier if you want to get in touch with um, uh, her or any of her colleagues uh, at the orthopedics department. That number is 612-873-MYMD. If you're so inclined to remember letters instead of numbers, 612-873-MYMD. Another way to get in touch with any of us at Hennepin is at hennepinhealthcare.org. That is all one word. It's a slick website. Um, You can find different doctors, different departments, different clinics. You can see what's going on at the hospital and some events that are coming up. That is hennepinhealthcare.org. I encourage you to go on there, like it on Facebook. That way you'll hear about some cool things that are going on. Um, Sometimes they put stories that are um, uh, really inspiring. So that's hennepinhealthcare.org, or you can like it on Facebook as well. And uh, let's see, other other bits of housekeeping. You can still go to my blog site, which is myhealthymatters.org. I have uh, taken a hiatus of putting new content on there just simply because time got short. But there's lots of uh, hundreds of um, posts that I've done on there at myhealthymatters.org. We'll be resuming that shortly with some new content on there. So um, thanks to all of you who have been checking in with me via that method. All right, let's go back to the text lines for a few more of these. Um, Here's one about a rotator cuff surgery, Nancy. It says, I had rotator cuff surgery 18 months ago. Three tears, one subscapular tear. Recovery went well. I am back at pickleball every morning. Um, That I love. My question is occasionally I have a crunching sound with a sharp pain when I reach for something. Is this normal or in need of further therapy or surgery? Or does it just need more time? Crunching sounds. People, everybody's got a crunching sound in your joints right. someplace. Oftentimes it's scar tissue. It's a little hard to know without how frequently, if it's really bothering you, you can. I would go back and have it checked out. But if you're able to do most of the stuff you need to do, then probably power through it. Just power through it. It might yeah. just need more time. It might just so, need more time. So crunching sounds in joints. That's not related specifically yeah. to this. But, you know, everybody does that. Like you move your knee or your foot mm-hmm. and all you hear all this crunching stuff. What's that? Oftentimes it's scar tissue. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's not anything we're supposed to worry about? Only if it really bothers you. Yeah, have this, it checked out. And this guy's playing pickleball. Do you guys know what pickleball is? I do. I think it sounds like the new the new fad. Is every, it? Every, everyone's coming in is saying I play t- pickleball Is it now. on a – really? Yeah. Are you seeing injuries from pickleball? I see a fair amount. Is it mostly, mm-hmm. you know, upper extremity, shoulder stuff? Yeah, still knees. I mean, it's the uh, – Aging population. So I don't even exactly know what it is, but I've heard a lot of people playing it. Do you know what it is? No, I, uh, dill or gherkins or yeah. type of... <laughs> Is it what? baby dills or is it sliced burger Amber. slices? <laughs> what is it? I, I've heard of it. but I think I it's know. on a tennis court, isn't it? I think so. I've hmm. not played it myself. Okay, so we've got three people yeah, who have, really. don't know a whole lot about pickleball. We might need someone to text us in, just yep. give us the one-liner on what the heck pickleball is. And, we, <laughs> and we will, maybe we can talk about it because Dr. Luger over here, she's seeing injuries from it. So there you go. So it's apparently a hardcore thing. You didn't ask me to be an expert on pickleball. I didn't. I didn't say you. Okay, now I'm going to need you to comment on this particular sport. Okay. Uh, what, should we go to the phones? Yeah, let's do let's that. Let's go to the phones. Jim uh, in Isanti has been waiting. Though Jim, you're on CCO. Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, say, i got to tell you about my arm clock. Not an alarm clock, arm clock. I, I've got a bad rotor cup on the right side, and 
That's my favorite. It, it doesn't bother me too much until I do some things like reach for the stars with that with that arm, you know. And then it'll it'll hurt. And uh, but I'm just putting up with it. And anyway, but when I go to sleep at night, and I don't sleep on that side, uh, it'll wake me up about three or four in the morning. I, that's why I call it my arm clock. And I'm wondering why, you know, because I don't. I'm not using it, and it's kind of crazy. Jim, did you ever have an injury to that arm? Oh. I've always hurt that arm whenever I fell down. I even broke the collarbone one time on that side. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for your call, Jim. So what do you think about that, Nancy? So this, this gentleman's waking up in the middle of the night with a sore arm. That's a common complaint when you have rotator cuff um, issues, whether it be a tear or just um, the tendons irritated. And Part of it is, I think, you know, your mind's at rest at night, so you're not doing as much, and then people notice it. Or it's just the pressure that you're, how you're sleeping on it, on that side. When you do fix rotator cuffs, are you literally reattaching the tendons to to each other, or what do you do when you're fixing Sometimes them? to each other, but mostly to the bone. They often tear from where the bone and the... Do you sew it in, or how do you recon- Is that cemented as well? Uh, no, usually sew it in with what are called anchors. So they're kind of screws with suture or uh, material that you kind of weave through it and tie down. It all sounds very. It all sounds like I, I can't believe it. You like literally anchor things into the bone, and and uh, do you get your like equipment done at Home Depot? <laughs> <laughs> Be cheaper, probably. It'd probably be cheaper. You could go down to home. You go to the hardware. You go to the fastener department. Buy a couple. <laughs> buy some big, huge, long bolts in there and wash them with soap and water and put them in. I don't think that's that's exactly what they do. No. Okay. Back. Back. <laughs> thank you for your thank you for your call, Jim. Um, before I go back to the text, and there's a lot of them. I I I still wanted to get back to the recovery after because somebody called in earlier. How long do people typically take to recover from? Shoulder surgery. Depending on what you do, I'd say um, if it's a rotator cuff or even a shoulder replacement, even over a year you can get better. And it's always the first three months are the worst. And then it depends how good you are at physical therapy or if you come into any of those stiffness problems. But um, I usually tell people it's going to be a year or more before you are completely Mm -hmm. recovered. And it really depends how well you do with your physical therapy. Here's one from Judy, and Judy says, I have had shoulder aching and tightness in both shoulders for several months. I have tried physical therapy for several sessions with no relief. I have a history of arthritis. Should I now see an ortho doctor? So I guess that that question is one that I often have. When's it time to go see you? I don't think you can see us too soon. If you've been struggling, um, we're happy to see you, and, and, and maybe it's just continuing what you're doing, but... Um, it might give you peace of mind. So if you're wondering if you should go see someone, it's probably time. Yeah, I think that's good advice, Judy. Call her up, 612-873-6963, or go to hennepinhealthcare.org, and you can get into the best orthopedic surgery department in town. Here's one about antibiotics. How long, let's see, ask how long antibiotics have to be taken after a shoulder replacement. Hmm. There's been new recommendations from the Academy of Orthopedics that we follow, but it's a little bit surgeon-dependent. So I try not to say that um, it's what everyone should do, but there are some guidelines. So I would just ask your surgeon what their preference is. So it's not 100%. Um, 
You know, I'll get your opinion on this as well. Um, it came up on a show a few weeks ago. What about for people? Do you need? Do you recommend antibiotics when they're getting dental surgery for the for the rest of their lives? Do you recommend that? Not for the rest of their lives. Usually, it's recent surgery if you have heart problems. There's there's some guidelines that we follow, but um, it's for me not the rest of their life. Yeah, for their joints, I. I I looked out. I looked it up because it, we were having this conversation here on this radio, and somebody's um, orthopedic surgeon had told them take it for the rest of your life before dental surgery to protect your joint. Your joint. Mm-hmm. And I looked all that up, and there's no evidence on that. Although there is some question, you know, their guidelines are not exactly clear what we're yeah, telling they're, people. They've been changing over the last couple of years too. Right. Um, so we talked about this a, um, a little bit uh, <laughs> about aging. And being active and playing pickleball. Here's uh, here's someone. They put the word mature in quotation marks. It says, especially speaking to the mature population, what exercises or range of motion exercises are appropriate to keep healthy shoulders? Um, this is probably hard to describe, but there. I mean, this is where if you want guidance, I think um, going to a physical therapist to show you how to do them appropriately, correctly, and uh, make sure you're not. I I tell people that I think of physical therapists as their coaches. They um, show you how to do them, make sure you're not uh, doing them incorrectly and that you're making progress. Um, In general, a lot of um, are lifting lighter weights rather than heavier weights are probably a good recommendation. It's a good idea to be active, though. That's what I think. It is very good good to be active. As long as you're able. And I think doing things, um, being active is a really good idea. Um, This one says it's sent by... Uh, a guy I know, a colleague of mine, unless he's uh, telling me something else. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. But here is doc- Dr. Johnson's giving me uh, an explanation of what pickleball is. Oh, excellent. I think it's him. It says, pickleball is like ping pong crossed with tennis. It's played on a pickleball court, smaller than a tennis court. Somebody else said pickleball is similar to tennis, smaller court rackets like racquetball, hard wiffle ball. Playing at a gym, paddle hitting the ball across a net. So it's like a smaller version of tennis with a harder ball and a and a racket. And kind of like racquetball too. Yeah, there you Sounds go. Sounds like it. Thank you all of you um, for telling us about pickleball. Um, and somebody suggests you YouTube it. There's a great little video on it. Now we see you learn a lot on this show. Oh, here's another one. Pickleball equals a modified version of tennis played on a smaller court with a smaller, less springy racket. It's more like a paddle and a slower, less bouncy ball. Okay, we have learned about our sports. Let's go to the phones. All right. Well, Julie knows about it, too. Julie, you have a better explanation than what we just said? Yes. Actually, you read one of my texts. Oh. So I was the one that wrote in with the rotary surgery on pickleball, but you said this guy is playing. <laughs> oh, well, Julie, so, thank you for calling because I, you know, it's you that did that. You got us going on a very interesting topic today, Julie. I did. And then my husband came in the room and he goes, are you listening to all this on pickleball? And I said, yeah, I started it. So <laughs> but that's exactly what pickleball is. It's played with a harder, more like a ping pong, a large ping pong paddle, but it's on a smaller tennis court with more of like a wiffle ball. Oh. But so it could have all kinds be, of injuries. Oh, yeah, many. <laughs> my, my orthopedist told me, he said, this has been a real business boom for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Julie, for getting that conversation started. It's been a fun fun thing to talk about this morning. <laughs> right. 651-989-9226. We're talking, among other things, about shoulder replacement surgery. Uh, waiting for your calls. We have a lot of text messages yet. Indeed, we do. Let's talk a little bit uh, about bursitis, if we could, Nancy. This one comes from... 
a texter. It says, can you talk about bursitis in the shoulder and how to treat it? First of all, what's bursitis? Um, bursitis is inflammation of the bursa, which is a kind of overlying usually the rotator cuff, and um, it can get inflamed or irritated. Yeah. Okay. So how do you, how does one treat that, and how does one distinguish it from joint problems in the shoulder? So treating it is um, oftentimes start out with rest. Don't do the things that bother it. Ice, you can ice it. You can take some anti-inflammatories or medications over the counter. Um, physical therapy also, um, and injections. I'd say those are the most common early forms of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we go in there with surgery and remove it if there's a lot of inflammation and you've failed some of those non-operative things. Um, what was your second question? Well, I was saying, what what is it, and what can you be done about it? I think you have. Okay. Um, I think you have addressed it. So, you know, I get questions on bursitis a lot. Um, not as much in the shoulder. I haven't heard as much about that. But you know, you, you've got burst bursas, bursa. I don't know what's the plural of bursa. All over your body. You know, little friction reducing sacs. You know, there's on, it's on your hip, on that big bony protuberance that comes out the side of your you know lateral part of your leg. They're over your knees. They're all over the place. They're over your shoulders. They just do allow our bodies to move with a little bit more friction-free. So that's what a burst is. So I'm, that's an interesting question. We can talk more about that after the break. Very good. We'll do that very thing. We still have more show to come. If you uh, want to get involved, ask your question by phone or by text. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. We're heading for a high today in the Twin Cities near 30. Right now on CCO, it's 25. Welcome back to Healthy Matters. If you have a question for uh, the doctors, 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. That's also the text number. Here again is Dr. Hilden. Thanks a lot, Denny. I'm talking to Dr. Nancy Lugar, who is an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in arms and shoulders. Not hands, though. Do you do hands? Nancy, do you do uh, hands? Some hands? Some some hands when they come in on my call. Yeah, on your I call mean, day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because you, you have to take call day and take trauma. In the yes. Life, right? So you do Correct. trauma surgery. Correct. Are call days busy? They can be. Yeah. I often tell people, well, you know, if you have an elective procedure, where would you go? You know, she, you know there's a lot of ortho- orthopedics is a competitive um, field, if you, if you just want to say. They're all over the metro area, and there's good surgeons and good programs everywhere. There really are. There's orthopedics all over the metro area. They're really good. But why would you come to our orthopedic surgeons? And I always tell people, it's one of the specialties. If I were you, I would drive by the other places to come down to Hennepin because these these, these surgeons are operating all the time. And believe me, whatever you have, they've seen it. And so, um, and that's why you take trauma calls, so you see kind of some pretty traumas, you know, unexpected injuries. And uh, our surgeons see it all the time as part of their general course. So they're not just churning out elective procedures one after the other. They've seen all kinds of surgeries, both emergencies and your your um, elective procedures. And when I say elective, that means you're, you know, your shoulder needs replacing. You've been thinking about it for a while. You've gotten all your imaging. Now it's time to do it. You're electing to do it at a certain time. Well, the surgeons at Hennepin do elective procedures as well as doing unexpected injuries and trauma. So I think that's where you want to go. Um, let's see. Let's go back to the text lines. A lot of new ones have been coming in. Um, here we go. Let's see. I just tuned in. Have you talked about frozen shoulder? I've had uh, – um, oh, it, it gets – the text gets lost. Um, well, 
It gets broken down. I, I've had two of them, I think is what it says. So we did talk a little bit about frozen shoulder. It was earlier in the show, and some new people have tuned in. Can you talk about what is frozen shoulder and what causes it? So we don't always know what causes it. There are some things that can predispose um, you to get it. Oftentimes, um, females more often than males, but that doesn't mean that if you're a male, you can't get it. Uh, if you have diabetes or thyroid um, changes, you can get a frozen shoulder. If you have had an injury or a fall, sometimes that can cite a frozen shoulder. just means you lose some motion. And it can be quite painful. So oftentimes pain is the first sign, but then you lose motion. And um, that's it's, it feels like it's frozen. And it's a pretty much a diagnosis of physical exam. So, Right. Um, it doesn't mean it was cold outside. <laughs> we are in Minnesota. Um, here's one about um, injuries as a younger person. Does it lead to stuff later? Um, so I'll read it. Um, it says, the, my daughter needed shoulder surgery following a fall, which dislocated her shoulder during figure skating as a teen. What is the typical outlook for someone like her? Will she be more likely to have future shoulder problems? So it kind of depends what her shoulder looked like at at surgery and how much damage might have done to the cartilage or the joint lining. Um, It's more likely than not that she had a labral tear, which is the labrum is part that deepens the socket, kind of acts like a suction cup. Um, And so that's typically repaired in in what you're describing. And you can get what's called post-traumatic arthritis down the line, but it really just depends at the time of injury how severe it was, so it's a little hard to predict. All right. All right, back to the text one. Here's one. um, It says, I've had two rotator cuff surgeries. The first one was painful, but it healed ahead of schedule and attained full range of motion. First one, it sounds like it went well. After the second, when a large, quote, hunk of the cartilage was flapping, so it was removed. The healing was slow, and I never regained full range of motion. Doc said I'm a candidate for replacement. Will I regain full range of motion? It will not be a reverse. So two rotator cuff surgeries, the second one's leading to a limited range of motion. Is that now an indication for a replacement of the shoulder? Could be the cartilage flap sounds like that means the smooth gliding surface isn't smooth any longer because the chunk was removed. And what's the flap? It's literally like a chunk? Uh, it's the, usually the cartilage can literally flap up. So you can remove that piece that was probably um, catching or causing irritation. And then um, if there's not enough cartilage or you have enough symptoms and they're recommending a replacement, the outcomes or the motion after that can vary depending on what you start, what your motion starts with. But um, it's often you don't get full motion back, but we like to say you'll get functional motion back. Functional motion. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to the phones. The Barb is calling from New Hope, I believe. Barb, you're on CCO. Good morning. Yeah, hi. See, I was in a car accident, and my shoulder got torn. They said it was a slap lesion and that there's nothing you can do about it to repair it, and I just thought maybe you could go in and just put a couple stitches in there. So um, they said you had a... a could you say that again? I think we missed part of that. So you, oh. you had a slap lesion, and you want to put a couple stitches in well, there? Well, yeah, because it hurts. And they said, well, you can't repair a slap lesion. Oh, okay, okay. Do you know something about that, Nancy? Yeah, it's a slap stands for superior labrum anterior posterior tear. It's just a fancy term that there's lots of alphabet soup 
um, nomenclature, but uh, depending on your age activity and what your um, tear looks like, sometimes they're repaired, but it's often for um, younger people, 20s, 30s below. And then um, if you're above that, oftentimes it, it's um, either tenotomized or cut or moved, called tenodesis. So those are a couple of things she could still have done. Um, but they said that nothing can be done. There's some things that usually, can be done. Yeah, there can, and, and I'd say the first line is usually therapy to see if that can become less symptomatic. Just because you have a slap tear doesn't necessarily mean you need a surgery. It's really dependent on your symptoms. Thank you, Barb. Back to the phones we go. Greg is calling from Hastings, I believe. Greg, you're on CCO with the doctors. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, hi, doctor. Uh, for a 67-year-old man, I'm I'm pretty uh, – pretty good shape. I work out six days a week with a personal trainer uh, with a mix of light weights and cardio. Um, and uh, during the summer, spring, and fall, I'm probably walking like 50 miles a week or so. Uh, but I still have uh, like a left hip pain uh, sometimes when I get up out of a chair if I've been sitting for a while. Uh, is there any, what can I do to, just to take that? It's not, it's not painful, but it's, it's just irritating. Yeah. Greg, the heck of a deal. He's walking 50 miles a week in the good weather, and he's, uh, and he's working out six days a week. What does a guy like that do, who's obviously physically active, do about stiffness after he's been sitting? It really depends on how bad it's bothering you, and it sounds like it hasn't been bothering you that much. And 50 miles is quite a lot, which I congratulate you on your, your efforts there. But um, I'd say the general rest, ice, anti-inflammatories, but if it's really not bothering you that much, most of that won't, you won't see much of a difference. Could it be just a result of a very active person? Uh, You know, there's just a little inflammatory response in his muscles and the like, and that's why he's Could be, could be early arthritis, could be labral tearing, but like I said, that probably doesn't necessarily mean you need to do anything about it. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Tom is calling from Brooklyn Park with a question. Tom, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Doctor. Doctor, I would be a a walking uh, specimen for you for shoulders. I had a complete shoulder replacement two years ago on my right shoulder, and that's that's coming along fine. In 1965, I had, from chronic dislocations, I had shoulder surgery on my other shoulder, my left shoulder, and they put a pin in it or a staple. In fact, every time I go into the doctor, they bring in the interns and show them the x-rays and tell them you're never going to see anything like this because we don't do surgeries that way anymore. But I do have pretty good arthritis in that left shoulder, and I was told that I would someday need a replacement on that, but it would be a reverse shoulder replacement. Could you discuss what that is? Thanks for your call, Tom. I love it. You're a great storyteller, first of all. Um, Thank you for your call. So what do you think about a reverse shoulder surgery in a guy who's had lots of dislocations? Yeah, so it really depends kind of the state of the shoulder. And you can use a reverse if you have a rotator cuff and there's a lot of bone changes. So um, there's many things that go into the determination if you need a reverse. But like we talked a little bit about what a reverse is, where the um, you change the mechanics, where the socket becomes the ball and the ball becomes the socket. Um, and it sounds like with all those uh prior injuries that maybe things aren't functioning as well with the rotator cuff and with that prior surgery, there would be concern. So that sounds like a, a reasonable um, 
recommendation. Back to the text lines here, if we could. Thank you for that call, Tom. Um, One person said, just says, shoulder pain indicates heart issues too. I'm not exactly sure to what this person's responding, but they're correct. (laughs) Texter, you are correct. Sometimes, people, if you have a shoulder pain, it can be your heart, believe it or not. And so that's actually a good thing that that texter said. So if you're having, especially if it's exertional pain that gets better when you rest, that that could be what we call angina, um, and it's just showing up in your shoulder. Sometimes um, that that actually does occur. So thank you for that little reminder. Um, here's There's a lot more text, and I'm sorry to everybody we won't get to them all, but here's one. It says, could you explain shoulder impingement? I don't think we've used the word impingement yet on the show. So probably what um, most people think of with impingement is underneath the bone, the top part of your shoulder where it's we name the parts of the scapula. The acromium is kind of where you feel over the top part. And then underneath that is the rotator cuff. And sometimes over time you can get some spurs or there's a narrower space. And when you lift your arm up, it can kind of pinch that area. And that's why what they call impingement. We are out of time. Dr. Nancy Luger is an orthopedic surgeon. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us. It's been great to have you here on a Sunday morning. If you need to get a hold of her, a primary care doctor, or anybody else at Hennepin, first place to go is hennepinhealthcare.org, hennepinhealthcare.org, or you can always call us up at 612-873-MYMD. That number is 612-873-6963. What's coming up on next week's show? We're going to do an open line show next week, so get your questions about any and everything and see if I know anything. All right, very good. Thank you. We'll see you back here next week with uh, more Healthy Matters. Again, it's an open line show, your general health questions. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.